Our scripture this morning is found in Esther chapter 4. Have you all turned there in your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Raise your hand, they'll bring one to you. Esther chapter 4. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. When Mordecai learned all that, he, all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When, Eth when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in a king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. 
May God give us understanding this portion of scripture we're preaching from this morning. We prepare for our prayer time. Let's bow ourselves now. Bow our heads, close our eyes in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come to, together today to worship, to honor you, to hear your word preached and read before us, to be challenged and encouraged through your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word today. Make your word plain and simple. It might challenge our hearts in the way you want it to be challenging, that we might give attention and reflect our thoughts and our attention to you, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he has done for us, and that our hearts be motivated and directed from what he has done, how we ought to worship, honor, and serve him with courage and action. We pray for those in this, this group of believers. We pray for those who are suffering from physical uh, ailments and challenges. I pray for my father today who needs to go to the hospital because of the trouble that he's having with just uh, his pain and his suffering. We pray, Lord, that you would just help him, bless him through that. And we pray, Lord, that you would um, be with all your people here, those who are suffering in physical ways, and uh, we just pray your blessing and your healing on them. We pray for our spiritual healing and repentance and turning to you as we go out in evangelism, as we preach your gospel, as we share your word in our communities and wherever we are, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live a, a faithful, consistent life and that we would share that gospel and it would turn hearts to you and that you would change hearts and soften hearts and draw people close to yourself and to believe and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Esther chapter 4, this morning is our message text for today. And we look at the response to the threat. The response to the threat. In the previous chapter, we saw that an evil plot to destroy all the Jews has been devised by wicked Haman and signed into the law by the king. Something terrible has happened. The decree has been signed by the king. It is a sure thing. We see the response or the reaction to that decree here in chapter 4. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. You can imagine that's not a common practice in our culture, but in the Eastern culture, in the Jewish culture, that was a sign of mourning. 
It was a great sign of mourning. It was to show that what you wore today was not important. The events of the day overwhelmed and took over everything else. Think about that. For our culture, we wake up and we think very much about what it is we're going to wear and why we wear what it is we wear. Maybe the weather, and, and some included in that. It's the fashion included in that as well. Uh, some mix of both, uh, uh, particularly what it is we're going to be doing that day. We're dressed for that. I always tell my wife as I go around, I notice summer attire. A couple things stick out to me. When I see, uh, particularly as young men, I see young men and it's 90 degrees and they have a long sleeve hoodie on and a hood pulled up over their head. That tells me something. That tells me something. You, you care more about disguising and hiding yourself than you do about even being appropriate for the weather. And I'm suspicious of that person. What's he up to? What's he doing? Why is he wearing a long sleeve hoodie in 90 degree weather? What we wear says something about us. And when something significant, or in this case, something terrible happens, Mordecai, in a practice there, was to show how significant and how devastating that was to, 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 to show that the clothing that you wore is not important. It's like you, you don't care. It's not that you don't care. It's like it pales in significance to what really is going on. And so not only would he tear his clothes, it says he put on sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth was a was something they put on to, to show, it was a practice to show that they were mourning. So it was, it was a clothing that showed mourning, or the, the indication was, I am mourning. I am, I'm not doing well today. And you can see it all by how I dress. I'm not dressed as I normally would dress. <coughs> we can usually tell when a person who normally keeps up themselves and has their face together and their hair all, to, all put together, if they have hair for our ladies and even for our men. Um, but when that changes, when their appearance drastically changes, you, you can usually signal something's not right. Well, this is, this is uh, exaggerated with sackcloth. And then with ashes. Ashes was they actually would put on their face and over their body ashes that would show in a significant public way that they were distressed and mourning about something. You can see all throughout um, um, scriptures that there was a time of mourning, particularly when something happened. You can see it in Job. You can see it uh, at the death of significant people, that there was a mourning period, sometimes 30 days of mourning for a death that would happen. And, and people publicly displayed their anguish uh, uh, and, and the effect that this had on them in a physical way and the most apparent way was how they dressed. So Mordecai put on this sackcloth and this ashes to indicate that something terrible had happened, something significant had happened, and he would not hide it from 
all those around him. He would not make up his face. He would not dress himself. He would not display himself in the usual way to make people think that everything was okay because it wasn't. There was a terrible thing that had happened. So this was a cultural expression of grief, of extreme grief and anguish, personal anguish that had happened. We can see how public it is because it says here that um, he tore his clothes. He went out into the midst of the city. He didn't go hide. He didn't, he didn't stay in bed that morning and, and, and mourn quietly and personally. He went out. He went in the midst of the city. There was a purpose in his mourning to display to everyone that things were not okay. Why weren't they okay? Because a law was signed to destroy, to annihilate, to kill every single Jewish person, man, woman, boy, and girl, to kill them on the 12th month of the year. And it was signed on the first month of the year, on the 13th day. And it was to be executed on the 12th month of the year, on the 13th day. And so he was showing everyone his anguish over what had been done. It says, he cried with a loud and bitter voice. I actually like that they express this this way. And in fact, um, I, I, I caution, um, especially in our community, in my neighborhood, I caution people, and I caution our kids as they're playing. Uh, you know, kids like to play and they're loud and that's, that's okay. But be careful how you scream and how you holler because there's a, a realness to that that needs to be preserved. We have an old uh, 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 children's story about crying wolf, right? And the old story goes that when you cry wolf, the, 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 the sheep would say, hey, a wolf is coming, a wolf is coming, when he wasn't really coming. He was just doing that to, to have fun or to uh, uh, alarm everybody. And later on, of course, when the real wolf came, and they cried, wolf, what happened? Nobody reacted. Nobody responded. I always tell, you know, parents to, to do this as well. Uh, alert your children that when they cry, it ought to mean something. It ought to be for something that's real. So I'll come running. I'll come running with the big stick if I need it. <laughs> because I'm, I'm on alert. But don't put me on alert every 10 seconds because you're playing a game because then my, my alarm just kind of, I, I begin to ignore it. Here, Mordecai was crying. He was crying out loud for a reason. He wanted everyone there to know what was going on. There was great mourning. Why a cry? Because that's the proper temperament for the terrible thing that was going to happen. Remember the last chapter, reaction of Haman and the king? They sat down and had a drink. But the whole city was in turmoil. And Mordecai is crying. Why? That's the proper response. I pray that we have a fitting emotion and response for what's going on, that it matches what's happening. We ought to rejoice 
when there's news of rejoicing, we ought to weep when there is a reason to weep. The problem today is not that just people are emotional. Everybody's emotional. Everybody has emotions. Is that we don't display fitting emotion, proper emotion for the proper thing. And so when a great catastrophe has been announced, the fitting emotion was to cry, to cry out loud. Why out loud? It's a proper volume for all to hear. There's a time for a loud voice. As a parent, I was asked, do you ever raise your voice at your children? The answer is when it's appropriate. When it's appropriate. I don't raise my voice because I'm mad. I raise my voice when it's needed. If a child is running towards the street and you need to get their attention, you don't go, <coughs> excuse me, Johnny, um, can I talk to you a minute? Hey! Come back! Stop! You use your voice in a proper way. And so our temperament, our voice, our volume should match the circumstance of what's going on. Also notice that not only Mordecai was grieving and expressing his grief, but it says in verse 3, In every province where the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews. Great mourning. Now what accompanied, accompanied this mourning? It says, with fasting and weeping and lamenting. One of the purposes of fasting is that we give proper weight to, to our request. <clears throat> now, I doubt if you fast for a new car, a new pair of shoes, right? But perhaps if your loved one is sick unto death, a proper time is to say, food is not important to me at this time. It's just not. I know I need it to live. Before time, for a limited time, I'm going to put it aside to match, to show a proper weight for the request that I have. And so it was great mourning, and it was fasting and weeping. That's why, you know, fasting needs to be done for, for a right purpose. Fasting is not just to lose weight. You may need to lose weight. I may need to lose weight. But fasting says, no, there's something even more important than my self-safety uh, 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 and well-being. There's something else that's going on that's significant. It says, so there was great mourning. There was great fasting among the Jews. There's weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so we see a, a proper response. In verse 4 to 7, we see uh, spread the news. There, there's this information needs to go out. Now, it's interesting that as word got out, people responded. But right in the palace, Esther didn't even know what was going on. 
it says uh, her young women and, and a eunuch came and they told her, and this says she was deeply distressed. But you read on, you find out what was she distressed about. She was distressed because Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes in a public way, and, and she didn't understand what he was doing. It's like, has he lost his mind? What's going on? So she sent some clothes to him, some proper clothing, so that he would would close himself. You also notice it tells us that it was improper and therefore against the law to come into the king's gate with that clothing. And and in other words, just like our society today, there's a proper attire for things. And you go into a courtroom and they expect you to dress properly. It is a illegal, formal place. The judge is dressed. The, the attorneys are dressed in, in proper etiquette and, and proper dress and etiquette, and so should everyone attending there. Yeah, I, I remember going to the courtroom, and people would be surprised. They told to take off their hats and stop chewing gum and turn their cell phones off. Like, huh? <laughs> that's, that's a proper way to behave and to act in a more formal legal setting. And so um, this, 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 this sackcloth and ashes attire wasn't allowed in the king's court. And so perhaps, um, perhaps Esther was, was afraid for Mordecai that he was going to take this too far and get himself into trouble. And she didn't know why he was acting this way. And so she went on to, to ask. She sent she sent some clothes. He refused to do that. And then she sent one of her, her eunuchs, Hathach, it says in verse 5, to find out what was going on. Notice what it says. Ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. She didn't know what was going on. So she sent a messenger to, to speak to Mordecai to find out what was going on. Um. It's an interesting thing here, and I think it bears pointing out. When she first sees Mordecai's reaction, what does she try to do? She tries to calm the reaction. She tries to calm the reaction. That's a common response that we have, but it's something that, that, that I need to speak to for a moment. Instead of just calming the reaction, you need to find out what's going on. Think about it as a parent. Your son is in the backyard. And he cries. And you come and you go, oh, don't cry, don't cry, cry. No, first you find out, why are you crying? What happened? Did you lose your toy and you're just mad? Or, or, or did a bee sting you, a dog bite you, or even something worse? Let's find out what happened. What's the cause here? Not just soothing the reaction to the cause, but find out what the cause was. So her first thing was to do was, was to just soothe the reaction, and then she de- discovered that there was something deeper going on. Isn't that, isn't that good to know? As, as someone who genuinely cares, let's find out the deeper thing that's going on so we can get to that issue. And that's what she does with Mordecai. Why are you dressed in this sackcloth? What's going on? I don't want you getting in trouble, uh, but let's find out what's the cause behind all of this. And she does. And so Mordecai is more than happy to share with her. He begins to communicate to her through this messenger what's going on. So she finds out that there is any, a great threat towards her people. It's impending, means it's about to happen. It's a sure thing that's going to happen. In fact, it's going to happen within the year. 
as I mentioned, the, the time frame, it's been signed on the first month, the 13th day of the month. It's going to happen on the 12th month, on the 13th day of that month. And so it's going to happen this year. That's important. It's impending. Secondly, it's inclusive. It includes every Jew, including Esther in the palace. It includes everyone. They, they, are, they are going to be destroyed. They are going to be killed. I don't know how many uh, uh, Jews there were, but I, I, I can uh, easily estimate over a million, probably over two million, probably well over three million, because we know just from the history of Israel how many there were uh, in their history when, when the exodus occurred with, with Moses. And now many, many years after that, they have grown. Now they've been put out of their own nation. And, and so there are a lot of people whose lives are at stake here. It's inclusive. The third thing about this thread is it's irrevocable. It's been signed by the king. We're going to learn later what, what trouble that is. Haman went the legal route to get done what he wanted to do. It shows how evil, how wicked it was. It, we, learned, we learned in the last chapter that his hatred against Mordecai wasn't just a personal thing against Mordecai. He said, I'm going to wipe you all out. I'm going to kill all y'all, is what he said. And he went and he did that. And he did that with the king's authority and with the king's letter. And he, he had it signed, and it was signed in a way that it could not be changed. In chapter 1, you see that when they, when they didn't like what Vashti had done, they signed in an irrevocable way a, a law from the king that could not be changed, that she was going to lose her position, could never get it back again. That same thing has happened here, is that Haman had the king sign this so that it could not be changed. So this is a great threat. It is a real threat to God's people. Mordecai is mourning for good reason, and he wants to communicate that to Esther, who needs to find out about this. You need, girl, you need to know what's going on, is what he's saying. You need to know what's really happening, what's really happening, so you can have a proper response to it. Many people, most people, and the Bible says that Satan has blinded the minds of them who don't believe they are blind to what is really going on. Satan is crafty. I talked to a guy yesterday, and, I, you know, I've heard this so much, it sounds like a joke, but it was another one of those, the white man stories. I don't believe in the Bible anymore because of the white man. I said, look, dude, do you understand that the Bible is written against white men, black men, yellow men, red men, men of every color are sinners. Don't let Satan duke you into not understanding the real judgment that you face. It's inescapable. Those who sin will die in their sin. It's been signed by God. You can't change it. You can't challenge it. 
your word will not be heard. It includes all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The threat is real. It is impending. It's going to happen in your lifetime. I stated that way because you're going to die one day. You're not going to live forever in this state. You're going to face death. You're going to face, after death, the judgment of God. It is a real thing. So one of the things that God does when he speaks his message, he gives the bad news to alert people of the reality because they won't seek him as their savior until they understand more of the real anguish and trouble that they're in. The reason why we worship and we praise today, the reason why we praise with a real heart is because we know I am a sinner. I was destined to hell and God saved me. That's why I praise. That's why I take whatever ability, whatever breath I have, whatever talents I have, and I worship God to say, God, without you, I would be judged, I would be doomed, I would be damned. I need to realize the reality of the, the judgment that I am facing. I need to wake up to that, not hide under some other thing. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He said he didn't believe, he used to believe the Bible, but he didn't believe it anymore because he's done research on the Internet. He was dead serious. I said, let me tell you something about research on the Internet. All the Internet is it's people with a tool to put their ideas together and to tell you what they think. You're going to have some good, you're going to have some bad, but what you got is man's ideas. Man's ideas. Some are informed, educational, and some aren't. You're going to have to decide which ones aren't. The difference, though, with the Internet and this book I'm about to hold up is that God has spoken the truth and is communicating that truth to us. We can either take man's ideas, his philosophy, and his opinions and take that as our fact and our baseline and our truth, or we can hear what God has spoken, thus saith the Lord. Let me add another thing. So many people say, well, how you know that's the word of God? That's just man's or the white man's or anybody else's opinion. I say, first of all, I know that what's on the internet 
is man's opinion for sure. Now, it may match God if there's a good man who knows what God has said, or it may be just pure nonsense, or somewhere in between. How do you know that this is the word of God? Test it. Test it. Try it. Read it. Understand it. Ask questions. Dissect it. Looked at, look at it. Search it out and see. And God will show you himself. His truth. God will make clear. You say, well, I'm confused, Pastor. I don't know what's true or what's not true. I say, good, you come to the right person. Come and understand God's word. Come and search it out. Come and see how God wants you to live. Come and watch people whose lives God has changed and drawn to himself, not perfect people, but changed, redeemed people. Watch how they live. See their real lives. See their testimony. See what God's word has done in their lives. And walk away from that if you want, but at your own risk. Because God doesn't lie. God's work is real. Mordecai needed to communicate to Esther what was going on. He began to do that. He began to do that to alert her and to get her to respond. So he brings a request to Esther and we can look at verse 9 it says Hathach Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say all the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called there is but one law to be put to death Except, to, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So, Mordecai is saying to Esther, something must be done. What does he want done? Look at the middle of verse 8. We'll start at Beginning of verse 8, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther. So he gives her proof. Look, here is proof of what's going on, and, and the king has signed it himself. I got a copy of it. And what does he want done? Explain to her and command her. That's a strong word. He, he said to the messenger that Esther sent him, you go back to Esther, explain this, show her, and then command her. That's a strong word. Command her. He says, command her to go to Where am I? Command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Mordecai is saying something must be done. Something has to be done. Esther, you need to go and beg the king to do something about this. 
Esther's first response is, Mordecai, you don't know how risky that is. And she explains the real risk. Now, there's a real risk involved, and she faces it. And the real risk is this. If you go in the king's presence, up in his court, without being called, you can be put to death. You can be put to death. <laughs> if I was king, I'd probably have that rule too. <laughs> Basically, what it's saying is no beggars, right? <laughs> Don't come up in here asking for nothing. Don't come up in here asking for nothing. I got a legal means. I got, I've, I've, got, I've got my court system, got my officials, all that. They can deal with all your different requests. But if you come to me with some nonsense, I'm going to put you out. Not just put you out of my, <laughs> I'm going to put you out for real. So I can understand why he had that. But it shows us something, the extreme. I want you to see the extreme. The total difference between the human authority and God's authority. In the human authority, he is inapproachable for trivial or even great things if you don't have proper access to him or approval. Now, the extreme or the, 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 the contrast is that God is approachable. You don't have a great risk. We prayed to him today, didn't we? <laughs> I prayed before I preached. God is approachable. You can get up in the morning. You can get up at night, in the middle of the night. You can be walking. In fact, you could be in a shower. You could be in your bathroom. You can approach God anywhere. I want to tell you, believers, that's good news. But I got to add a caution to that. He does have to extend to you the royal scepter. That ain't just anybody. A lot of people who can talk to God. I talk to people, we go out on Saturday, say, well, you know, I'm trying to get back into the church. I'll probably come to your church one day, but I pray Oh, really? Sometimes I have to tell them the truth about their prayers. Your prayers ain't going nowhere, man. God ain't hearing that. I'm not saying God can't hear what you say. He hears, he sees everything, and he ain't listening. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be blessed and you don't benefit and God ain't good to you in some ways. It means you ain't his child. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't have access to him to really ask him personally for anything. You don't have a right to come to him. You need to have a right. You need to have the right. You have that right not just because you are part of his creation. You've been born. You've been given life. It's because you have relationship through his son, through Jesus Christ. But we see that God is approachable as opposed to this king who says, if I don't like you, I'm not going to hear your request. And you risk your own life even trying to tell me something. So Esther says, look, you, know, you need to know the great thing at risk here. I am risking my life in just coming in front of the king if he doesn't give me an exception. And so there's great risk. But we, that's her first response is to say there's a great risk here. And uh, 
You don't know what you're asking for, Mordecai. We see Mordecai, then he challenges her, verse 12 through 14. He challenges her. A couple things that he says to her. He wants her to realize that the threat and danger to their people is real. As I mentioned, it's impending, it's inclusive, it's irrevocable. He wants her to, to kind of feel that weight of that. And I think that's true that we need to do when we share the gospel. We need to share a bit of the weight why people need, why people must be saved. It's not like just, do you want to come to church with me one day? If you feel like it, if you like the style of our church. I'm not much about style, even changing the style of a church for anything or anybody, because it ain't about that. It's about their relationship with God. They must have a relationship with God. They must be saved. And so he wants her to, to feel this. He wants her to realize this. But he says to her, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape more than all the other Jews. He said this is inclusive. Don't think you're an exception to the rule, that's an important thing. Most people think that they're okay. That the world is sinful and wicked, but that they are okay. They're not as bad as most people, and therefore they don't need God's deliverance. That's not going to work in front of God. That excuse is not going to fly. Every person you have seen or ever seen stands in, 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 in God's judgment. Me and everyone else included. There are no exceptions to be granted to that rule. But Mordecai wants her to Understand that. And then he says this. If you, verse 14, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. If you keep silent, he says. He is challenging her to move and to act and to speak with courage. Because she's already said the great threat. And he's basically saying, yeah, I heard that. I know. I know that if you go to the king without him first requesting you to come, that you can risk your life. But he says, if you keep silent, if you refuse to put your own life at risk, don't you know what's going to happen? It shows his faith, Mordecai's faith. God's going to save. God's going to deliver by someone or some means. That shows his faith. He knows that God is going to do this, but he's challenging her specifically to action. Let me apply that to you. Look, the gospel needs to go out and needs to be spoken 
And it needs to be spoken to people in a real way. If God does not use sweet communion and the individuals right here in this room, he'll use somebody. And he will accomplish his purpose and his plan. We will miss out. We will miss out on the obedience rendered to the Lord. We will miss out on his work and his blessing and his fruit and all of that. We will miss out. God is going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish. If you keep silent, Mordecai expects Esther to risk her life. She's already told him that, hey, if I go, I'm in trouble. And he says, don't you dare hide behind that. You must act. You must speak. You must act. Then he says this. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I think that's one of the key phrases in this chapter, maybe in the book. Who knows that you have come, you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is telling his cousin, which is his daughter, the girl that he has raised for a long time, He's saying this, God didn't make you to be queen just to be queen. God didn't give you all that beautiful face and that beautiful hair and the figure that you have just to look pretty. God didn't set you up in the throne in the palace right next to the king just for you to say, look what I have achieved, look what I've accomplished, look who I am. God didn't bless you just to say you blessed. God has a purpose for you and all that he's brought you into that parallels and goes right along with his whole purpose. And what is that? Let me just say it explicitly. is to glorify him. To bring glory to him in whatever way he deems that that should happen. And so you are part of that puzzle piece that he's placed there for his purpose, not just for yours, but for his. That's good to be there. And there's a blessing being there. And there's a benefit in being there. We got all that. But he didn't set you up to be queen just to be queen, just to look good and to smile. He has a purpose for you. And it's interesting the way it fits with the book that Mordecai would ask to make this statement in this way. Who knows, he says, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That is a classic understatement. Who knows? God knows. And you ought to know, 
That God has a purpose, and his purpose in making you queen is specifically for this. That's what the whole book is about when you read it. See, we, we, we hear the narrator in the story, don't we? And the narrator is kind of like saying with a smile this understated statement. Who knows, Esther, that perhaps, maybe, if you think about it, God may have set you up to be queen for this very purpose. Of course he has. Absolutely, it's his plan. You were born with this in mind. You were brought up with this in mind. You were raised. God gave you seven uh, assistants, women. He's given you seven eunuchs, men. They have all been purposed for you for this reason. For you to be queen for a purpose. Who knows? Perhaps. Maybe that you've been set up in the kingdom for such a time as this is the classic understatement. Of course you have Esther. It's interesting that Mordecai knows that this is her purpose. He's probably known this for a long time. He didn't know it would come specifically this way, but he knew God was doing something in this girl's, this woman's life, and that he had raised and trained her in right ways for a reason, and now it's become apparent. This is no accident. He wants her to know, girl, you better wake up. You better wake up. You hear what's going on. God has placed you where he has placed you. Now, all of us aren't king or queen. But in a real sense in our life, God has made us queen and king right where we are. And he's developed us and he's placed us. I hear people say, well, you know, Pastor, I know that, but I missed my purpose. Let me ask you this. You really believe that? If, in fact, you missed your purpose, God doesn't know what he's doing. Some people say, well, you know, I might as well just end my life because I missed it. I was supposed to do this, but I didn't do it. As long as you have breath in your body, God's purpose for you is to repent and honor and glorify him with the rest of your life, with all that you have left. That's his purpose for you. Right now, that's his purpose. I want you to see something. Is that Esther is challenged not to just think, but to act. Not to just believe, but to be and to do. Now, I understand how that fits together. I understand that you won't act unless you believe, unless you think properly and so forth. But the real response to Esther now is you've been trained in all that, girl. It's time to act. I ain't got to tell you anymore about how you ought to think and what's important. It's time to 
act now. Act on what you already know and what God is challenging you to do. And don't think it's an accident that you are where you are, in place where you are, by God, in this circumstance. You can say, well, you know, God didn't make me queen. It was uh, the king who did that and the process that he had for me doing that. But we see God in all of this, working behind the scene, in full control of everything for his purpose and for his glory. And now Esther is being motivated to not think a moment, reflect a moment, but to act. To act. And in fact, go stronger. Not only just merely act, but to act in such a way that risks her entire life. I said last week that Mordecai was a picture in some ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Haman was a picture of pure evil in Satan himself. And so we see another picture, another glimpse, another shadow, another picture of Christ himself in Esther here, don't we? We see that Esther has been brought along for this purpose, and boom, now it appears to her that she sees and she is going to be challenged to act, even though it's at great risk. The Lord Jesus got to, to the cross the night before the cross at Gethsemane. He prayed three times, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But then he says, nevertheless, your will be done. He realized that the difficult task that was coming in front of him was one that he would not only risk his life as Esther would do, but give his life for the salvation of God's people. And he says, Lord, Father, this is such an extreme difficult thing that if it's possible, I'd like to escape this. But he says, oh, no, I realize that this has been your purpose for me. Don't think that God's way is always easy and, and, and void of any challenges. Esther, she doesn't have to spend the night thinking about this. <laughs> She needs to act. Her first response was, do you know what you're asking? This is a lot. Her second response, let's take a look at that. Her second response. Verse 15 and 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat, eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I note in her response, she asks for spiritual support. That's significant. That's important. She says to Mordecai, get everybody you can and pray for me. She doesn't use the word pray here. 
at least not praying to God, she says, fast on my behalf. But it's implied there that they're fasting with a purpose to a person for his glory. At least I think that's how we are to see that and read that, knowing that God is acting behind the scene. They are requesting God's support, his strength, and his approval, and his blessing. So she's asking Mordecai and his group to commit to that, and she says, I'm going to commit to it too. My young women around me, we're going to do that too. But I notice also she does this as support and not as a substitute. <laughs> what do I mean by substitute? She, 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 she doesn't say, well, I'm going to do this so I don't have to risk my life. I'm going to do this as I go to risk my life. I, I want God's approval. I want his assurance. I want his presence. And I'm not trying to get out of the task that he's given me to do. I know it's difficult, but I'm committed to it. I'm committed to doing what God has called me to do. It's not, let me, let me make it plain. Mordecai says to Esther, you need to go to the queen. She doesn't say, well, pray for me. I'll pray about it. She does not say that. Pray for me. I'll pray about it. As if, if God gave me the right answer over a couple of months, I might do it. No, she doesn't do that. She's basically saying, I'm going to do this thing, so pray for me. That's a different response. It's a whole different attitude. She is moved towards action that is grounded in prayer. Not prayer as an excuse for action. We don't want to do this, so let's pray about it. It's kind of like the, the, the government and the great committees. Let's study something for 10 years and see if we should do something when something needs to be done right now. Let's think about this decision over and over and over instead of actually doing it. So I note her response is that she wants that spiritual support, but she doesn't use it as a crutch and she doesn't use it as an excuse. She's going to do what God wants her to do. I also want us to see this, that God could have done this in a number of ways, but he does it through Mordecai challenging Esther and Esther stepping and having the courage to act. Esther could have prayed that somebody else go to the king. Maybe she could have sent one of, one of her little assistants. Now, girl, you know this is an important job. I wouldn't be having you do it if it wasn't really important. And I'm going to be praying for you the whole time. No, she went. It was her job to do. No substitute. She went. She did the job. She put her life on the line. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just put his life on the line. He gave his life for us. Then she says this, I will go. Not I might go if y'all pray for me long enough, hard enough, I'll think about going. I will go. And then she says this, though it is against the law, I know the risk involved, I'm going.
And if I perish, I perish. I love that attitude. If I perish, I perish. She says, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And if I suffer as a result of that, so be it. Many times we want to pray conditional prayers. Lord, I'm going to do this work, but you got to bless me. Does he really? <laughs> he doesn't have to. What he wants us to say, Lord, I'm going to do this and I'm going to trust you in everything that I face. You can do as you please, but I'm going to walk and be obedient to you. I am going to serve you. No excuses, no matter what. I like her action. I like her action. It's not a lot of talk. I'm going to the king. I want you to pray for me. I know this is difficult. I'm going. I know it's against the law. But if I perish, I perish. She understands what's at risk. Her people are at risk. Here's a story of one who's willing to risk their lives, risk their life for the many. Esther's saying, I put my life on the line in order that I might save my people. Jesus says, I give my life to save my people. We applaud Esther. We applaud her courage. We applaud her action because it's a preview. It's an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, it is challenging us to do that. Don't say you have great faith. Don't talk about it. Do it. Do what God has called you to do. Recognize in your life that God has given you a purpose. Not me, you. Of course he's given me a purpose, but he's given you a purpose. Think about Malachi's, because yeah, I keep saying Malachi. Think about Mordecai's purpose. He stood up to the task. He raised this girl, and when the moment came up as a lady, he challenged her. And he did not back down. And then it says this at the end. Did you get that in verse 17? Mordecai then went away and did. I like that word did. It's part of doing, isn't it? He did everything as, as Esther had ordered him. After he challenged her, she responded to the challenge. He was the backup and the support for her in every way. He was a man of action. She was a woman of action. But God is called, you know, it's interesting. God is working behind the scenes, but he's working through people of action, people who will actually do what God has them to do. Are you one of them? If you haven't been, you can right now commit to being a person of doing. In fact, if you're a person of faith, you can't be a person of faith and not be a person of doing. They don't go together. If you're a person, you say you're a person of faith and you're not doing, you're fooling yourself. You have a fake faith, a phony faith. God is challenging people of faith to do what's consistent with that faith, and that is obey, obey him, be obedient. Father, we thank you for your challenge to us today.
And we commit ourselves right now to the simple task of doing what you ask us to do, to know that you have a purpose in our lives. And we just say yes to that purpose with all the risk involved, all the threat, all the challenges. We commit to trusting you and doing what you call us to do. Everybody who can pray that pray prayer and says amen to that prayer, just say amen. Amen.